welcome back. This is going to be a difficult uh, episode, I think, for both of us. And it's a difficult episode in general. Yeah. Uh, today's topic, we are going to be talking about domestic violence. Yep. Um, I feel like this is kind of a long overdue episode that I felt like probably should have covered in season one. We kind of brushed and talked about it, um, but we did not fully discuss it and go into what would be known as our stories. We've talked about it in different episodes and brushed on it, but never fully gone into like the actual stories. Yeah. Yeah. No, I um, I think that domestic violence is definitely a hard topic. Um, for me, it's domestic violence and teen dating violence. So, you know, it's been a long list of batterers and abusers and manipulators, narcissists. I think for me, you know, I I worked at Women in Distress for a period of time. I was also their teen survivor. I also did a um, podcast with them a few months ago for teen dating violence awareness and told my story then too. And it's no matter how many times I tell my story, it doesn't get easier. And I remember the first time I sat on a panel and I told my story, I got maybe like two minutes into talking and then I ran out of the auditorium I was in and I sat I was at Barry University and I sat on the patio and cried and the other one of the other panelists and my boss at the time came out and told me that it was okay because up to that point I'd never actually spoken out loud about what had happened you know there were little pieces here and there that I would say. And like, you know, my mom always offered me a nose job because my nose is crooked from, you know, being hit. And, but they were always, you know, actually saying the whole story doesn't get easier. I feel like it's not meant to get easier. Yeah. It's a very hard memory to recall. And also the trauma that you still endure on a daily basis from Mm -hmm. what you've been through. So if you've heard us talk about it before, We don't like to refer to ourselves as victims. Nope. More so survivors. Um, For me, a victim, I think of it more as somebody that didn't come out of it. Yeah. I think also a victim is someone that continues to be re-victimized. Yeah. You know, I, I have been abused since then, but not like that. Yeah. You know, with him, it was everything. It was, you know, I was very young. I was very impressionable. I was looking for attention and I was looking for a male in my life that could fill a void that was there at the time. And I found someone who used that and tortured me and destroyed me. And, you know, I've had shitty incidences with abusers since. Yeah. You know, but that was always emotional abuse or verbal abuse. When I was younger, my first boyfriend was everything. Yeah. Oh, and financial abuse since then, too, because, you know, what Mike did was financial abuse for sure. Would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? It's up to you. Uh, I think we should start with more so a disclaimer before we both tell our stories. Okay. Um, For anybody that is listening that maybe is going through it, it may be a trigger warning. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are going to talk about physical, sexual, mental mm-hmm. abuse. We are going to talk about loss and grief, dealing with domestic violence, yep. miscarriage. We are going to talk about um, 
victimization. Mm-hmm. And it's just a forewarning. It's going to be a very difficult episode in general, but for those of you that are listening that may be triggered by those kind of things, I would advise that you stop listening at this point because our stories have a lot to unfold um. and they have a lot to tell. Yeah, also our normal disclaimer, this is not us giving anybody advice. This is not us, you know, trying to be therapists or anything like that. We're not trying to tell you why you stay with batterers or why you leave or whatever, why you are a batterer if you are one listening. This is just our experiences and how we have been able to get past that and go from that victim stance to being survivors and being the women that we are. Yeah. So, do you want to go into your story, or would you prefer me to start? I'll start. Okay, Allie's going to start. Um, there are certain things about my experience that I do not speak about mm-hmm. on, well, really to anybody. Um, so, I will not be talking about those aspects here. But I met my batterer when I started public school when I was younger. I got thrown out of private school in seventh grade, and when I transferred to public school, I met him within the first few months of being there, and I met him at a time where I already had issues with eating. I was already self-harming. I had just been kicked out of the school that I had been going to since kindergarten, where I was with the same kids, the same 60 kids for my entire life up to that point, and now I was at a school where there were over 300 kids in my grade. And I was terrified. And, you know, my first day of public school, I asked my mom if I could bring a knife to school because I thought I was going to die. But I met him and it was, you know, like a normal middle school relationship at first. You know, it was we saw each other sometimes on the weekends. We saw each other at school. He was very sweet. But, you know, now that I look back on it, it was also a lot of like very early on love bombing and you know, telling me how much he needed me and how he was so happy to be with me and how much he loved me. And then it slowly started to change and it turned into not just I love you, but I love you and you would be nothing without me. I love you, but it was like his biggest phrase. I love you, but. And then the first time that it started, I started noticing that like maybe it wasn't right. But at that time, like, teen dating violence wasn't something that was ever spoken about. So I didn't know what was happening. Also, it was my first real boyfriend. Like, I'd had, like, little tiny serial monogamy relationships at my old school where I would date this person and then I'd date his best friend and then I'd date him again. And, you know, and but with him, it was the first time where I actually, like, looked at someone and was like, I need to have you in my life. Like, I love you. You are everything. You are my universe. Everything revolves around you. And he used that and he manipulated that. And when I started noticing that things changed was when he started making comments about food was when we would sit at lunch and I would like, I never ever went and got food at school. I would take from other people or they would go get it for me, but I would never actively go and get food and bring it back to the table because for me, taking food on a tray to the table was like a walk of shame for me. Yeah. I didn't do it in high school when I was down here either. I have never done that because walking with food on a tray to me at that time was shameful. But he made it worse. And I remember I was 
trying to eat french fries because I don't know why, but the french fries at that school were just amazing. (laughs) But I was trying to eat a french fry and he was like, do you really want to do that? And I asked him what he meant and he was like, you know, your, your jeans look a little different. Oh, goodness. And I didn't eat french fries after that. And then I went to his house and we were having dinner and they, his mom, his stepmom had made steak and he told his stepmom while we were all sitting at the table that I didn't want it, that I was just going to have a salad. So from that night until I was 21, so from 13 to 21, I did not eat steak because in my mind it was shameful yeah. and I couldn't do it and he wouldn't have let me so I didn't do it. And he had been out of my life when I was 21 and I had steak for the first time. First off, I cried mm-hmm. and had a meltdown. But I, that entire time, he, I, I, he hadn't been in my life for years at that point, mm-hmm. And I still had that voice in my head. Like, you can't do that. You can't eat that. Yeah. Then the first time he hit me, I think it was about like four or five months into the relationship. That's the honeymoon phase. Yeah. And we were in my bedroom. And my bedroom in Baltimore – I let people write on the walls. Mm-hmm. So like my wall was like year a yearbook. yearbook. Yeah. And a boy that I had quote dated um, before him had signed the wall right behind my bed. And it had been there for six, seven months at this point. Yeah. But that day, for some reason, it upset him so much. And he was like, why is that still there? I'm like, why? what does it matter? Like, I'm with you. I love you. Like, yeah. we're together. And he hit me. He slapped me. And the next day it was, you know, it's just because I love you so much. And, you know, it didn't – I'll never do it again. And I know I was wrong. And But it, just, it never stops there. If they do it once, they'll do it again. And he did. And he continuously did it. And if he wasn't hitting me, it was – I was in his basement just sitting there because I couldn't be at home. Because yeah. if I was at home, he couldn't trust me. Yeah. And if I was home, I had to be on the phone with him. And I remember we had the um, the wall phone with mm-hmm. like the really long, long cord. cord. Yeah. And I would sit outside on our deck with that long cord and be on the phone with him. And I couldn't get off the phone. So if there was a beep and someone was calling in to talk to anyone else in the house, I couldn't answer. Yeah. Because I I couldn't handle what would have happened if I did. And he did a lot of damage. And it wasn't just the physical, you know, physical heals. I may still have certain scars, like the bump in my nose and the fact that my nose is crooked. Like I still have those reminders when I look in the mirror. But it's the manipulation and the things that he said to me and the, you know, the way he talked to me and leaving me in the basement, like, after that night with the steak, mm-hmm. I was never in his room again the entire time we were in our relationship. Yeah. I was in the basement. And, you know, that's how I found Shakespeare. Um, for those of you that know me know that I absolutely am obsessed with Shakespeare. It's my greatest passion. And it's because of that. It's because when I was at my lowest, completely contemplating whether I should be alive or not, and thinking that the only way out of that relationship was to kill myself – that's when I found Shakespeare. I found A Midsummer Night's Dream sitting in that basement, and that's where I escaped to. Yeah. And that's what saved me because every part of me just wanted to die because there was, there was nothing left of me at that time. And, you know, I'm 33 now. This is when I was 13 into 14, and 
I'm still trying to figure out who I was yeah. so that I can figure out who I am because he took everything from me. My childhood ended yeah. when I was with him. There was no more, you know, I didn't have friends. I wasn't allowed. I didn't see my friends. I ran away from home a few times, mm-hmm. but I ran away to the secret place that my brother and his best friend and I had. Yeah. And I remember my brother's best friend found me there once. And I told him that I didn't want to go home. Yeah. And it wasn't because of anything at home. No, it was what you were dealing with. It was because going home meant that I'd have to see him. No. But I couldn't leave because it would have been worse. Yeah. Over the course of our podcasts, we've spoken about my issue with my neck. Mm-hmm. Um, he would use my use my neck and grab me or choke me and um it got to the point where now like if someone touches my neck I flinch yeah and I've gotten better with it there used to be a time where I couldn't even let anybody touch the back of my neck now now I can but there is one person that I trust enough to let him touch the front of my neck yeah. I he cannot like, you know, hold the front of my neck or anything like that or cannot have like a finger on the front of my neck. But if he, you know, happens to like adjust my necklace or, you know, his hand grazes my neck, like I don't flinch when he does it. Yeah. But like anybody else, you flinch. I flinch. Because in my mind that means you're going to choke me. Yeah. That means you're going to hurt me. And his voice and everything about him stayed with me for a really long time. And I used to hear it when I would date other people. I would hear his voice in my head that like, yeah, they're saying they love you, but they don't only I love you. And when he ended things, cause I didn't and I wouldn't have. And I know that like, I know that deep to my core that I would not have left if he, if he hadn't left, it could have lasted years. Yeah. Until he really did kill me because I would not have left. He tore me down so much and made me think so little about myself and convinced me my family didn't care about me. Yeah. So he left saying that he couldn't handle my drama because I was cutting myself. Also doesn't help that I caught him hooking up with someone else at a dance that he allowed me to go to. Mm. I wasn't allowed to go to the other ones. That one I could go to, and I guess that's why. But when he broke up with me, it wasn't it wasn't enough to break up with me by using a mental health issue that I had against me. The guy whose name was on my wall the first time he hit me, yeah, he had him break up with me for him. And um, I remember him coming down. So I was at the JCC. And I was by the Pizza Hut, like not Pizza Hut, but like a hut, a hut yeah. where they sold pizza. <laughs> um, and I was talking to the person that works there because the same people that gave the pizza there also delivered pizza to my family every Thursday. Okay. So I knew him. So I was talking to him, telling him about what happened. And the the guy came downstairs and said, Zach doesn't want to be with you anymore because – He's tired of your drama and he can't handle it anymore. And even when he had finally let me loose, I still went and tried to beg for him to take me back. Yeah. Because in my mind, nobody loved me but him. Mm -hmm. And if he wasn't with me, 
what was the point? Mm-hmm. Nobody was ever going to love me. Nobody was ever going to want me. I was this, you know, fat, ugly, disgusting, worthless person. And I was lucky to have him. And now he didn't even want me. Yeah. And he kept it up. And uh, then I I went home and I was talking to my brother and he came to my house and he knocked on the door and my brother went to the door with a knife and held a knife to the door jam and said, if you come near my sister again, I'll kill you. And he, being a batterer and like textbook batterer, wasn't going to get into a fight with a dude. Mm -hmm. So he walked away. And Greg told me that now was the time where we needed to tell our parents. And so we called our parents. And I remember that day so vividly. We all sat around the table in our dining room. And my brother helped me tell my parents what had been happening. And everybody got so upset and just kept blaming each other. Yeah. And for a really long time, I thought that they were putting the blame in the wrong place because I thought I deserved the blame. Yeah. That it was my fault. That if I was a better girlfriend, if I was prettier, if I was skinnier, if I, you know, had done more, if I had given him more, if I had paid more attention, you know, nothing I did was enough. And for a long time, that's what I thought was that they were blaming each other when they should have been blaming me. Yeah. And... But, you know, my mom blamed my dad. My dad blamed my brother. You know, everybody blamed each other. And then his dad called. And my mom picked up. And his dad said, I'm going to call the police on your son because he threatened to kill my son. And my mom, who is a very nice person but can be very scary, Mm -hmm. she said, okay, you can call the police. But we will too because my daughter is covered in bruises. And we'll see who they arrest. And his father hung up the phone. My mom hung up the phone. She started to cry. I started to cry and told her, I don't know why she said that because I'm not going to talk to the police. I wasn't going to report him. Yeah. Nobody called the police anyways. His father knew better. Yeah. And we went on with our lives. I went on trying to continue just living, but I didn't know what I was doing. But then he started following me. And the summer before high school, I remember sitting down with the student resource officer and the guidance counselor and telling them what happened and sitting with my mom there too. And they put my schedule together and his schedule together at the same time so that if I was on the first floor of the building on the east side, he was on the second floor on the west side. Like, they, like, changed his schedule completely, so we were never even on the same side of the school, let alone the same floor. He still figured out my schedule when school started, and he would walk past the classroom, or he would pass me notes through people, and they ranged from, I miss you, I love you, I'm so sorry, I need you back, to you're a whore, I know you're fucking this person, you're a piece of shit, no wonder I left you, no one will ever love you, you're useless. And the problem is, or was, is that nobody was able to really help me because nobody knew. Yeah. They knew that he was controlling, they knew 
that I wasn't speaking mm -hmm. to anybody for a period of time, but they didn't know why. Yeah. And I remember freshman year, I dated, we're going to put that in quotes again, um, this guy, Matt, and we broke up and dated and broke up and dated throughout all of freshman year until I met Kevin. Yeah. He was very immature. And him and I spoke the other day, actually, because we're still friends. And I told him that because I wasn't very nice to him when he acted like a kid. Mm -hmm. I kept telling him he needed to grow up. And I told him the other day that the, it wasn't that I was angry at him for acting our age. Mm -hmm. It was that I was jealous because I couldn't. couldn't. Yeah, My childhood was gone. So him acting like that was just a reminder that that youthfulness that he still had, you didn't. I didn't. And that, you know, I thanked him for always trying to make me smile and always joking around with me and, you know, caring about me as much as he did. But I couldn't be the type of girl that he should have been dating freshman year. Yeah. Because I had these notes being passed to me and was going home cutting the word whore into my leg and yeah. I wasn't eating and you know, it was just everything in my life was torturing me because he wouldn't go away. Yeah. And that's why we moved to Florida. I told my parents that I was going to drop out of school if we didn't move. I said, I can't do it anymore. I will drop out. I will kill myself. I will, I cannot be near him. Yeah. I can't do it for another three years. And they asked that I just finish freshman year. Yeah. Because my brother was a senior and just let him finish high school with his friends. Then he's going off to college, and we will move. And that's what happened. I finished freshman year, and uh, my brother graduated with his friends, and then we moved. Unfortunately, I didn't leave that behind. Yeah. There were, I mean, just the three years of high school I was down here, I probably changed my phone number. I don't know, like six or seven times. Yeah. Because I kept giving him the phone number. Like I kept getting in touch with him because I just, I wasn't a person without him. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do because at that time I still thought that that's how you treated someone you loved. I yeah. thought he was doing what was best for me. Yeah. You know, he was teaching me. He was molding me into the person I should be. And... Obviously, now I know that's not the case. And I learned that senior year when women in distress came to talk to us and um, they explained what teen dating violence was. And I remember thinking, like, this sounds familiar. Yeah. And we watched a movie. It was a Lifetime movie. Um with uh, Candace Cameron. No one would tell. No one would tell, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. I remember watching it, and I went to the bathroom and threw up. And then I remember sitting on the floor of Miss Neff's room, mm -hmm. in the peer counseling room, and hysterically crying. Yeah. And I remember just – it got so bad. So she's, she was a, she's a very religious woman. Yeah. It, I was – basically hyperventilating on the floor to the point that she outwardly started praying for me while I was crying on the floor. And it was the first time that I had ever actually spoken at all 
about what really happened. Like my brother knew little pieces. My parents knew that I was bruised and had broken bones and stuff. But it was the first time that I had actually said out loud, this is what he did to me. Yeah. And I remember just sitting on that floor crying. And part of the reason that it hurt me so badly wasn't just the movie. It was the person from Women in Distress reaction to the movie. Yeah. Because she was making a joke out of it. And it made me feel even more like it was my fault. Yeah. But watching that movie, it was like watching my life. It was like watching that relationship in front of me. And it was torture. Yeah. And after that, I was able to talk about it a little more. I started being able to talk about it in therapy because I was in therapy. Yeah. Not really sure why I was in therapy because my therapist said I didn't have an eating disorder. My therapist said that, you know, I I don't even know what we talked about, to be honest, because I wasn't ready to actually speak up about anything. Yeah. And now I did. At that time, I did. And it was awful because even when I was talking about it in therapy – I was still trying to talk to him. Yeah. So it was basically just re-victimizing myself over and over and over again. And it wasn't until I started working for women in distress. Yeah. That I finally started to know the difference between a victim and a survivor. survivor. Yeah. But I still hadn't hit that point of being a survivor yet. Yeah. It wasn't honestly until I want to say maybe – my junior year of college at USF yeah. when I finally took that step. Because when I first started at USF, I still talked to him. Mm-hmm. Not when I was sober, but there was one time – he's actually the reason I got – I stopped drinking. Yeah. I started going to AA was because one night I got very drunk to further the eating disorder and I got on Skype with him. Oh, my God. And I found out the next morning that not only did I get on Skype with him, I got naked on Skype for him, and I agreed to go to Baltimore to have sex with him. And that's what I woke up to. Yeah. That day I had my friend Brianna come to my apartment and pour all of the alcohol down the sink, and she took me to my first AA meeting. And I have been drunk once since Since. then. Besides the fact that if I get drunk and then I puke, then I, you know, further the eating disorder again. But it's also I'm so terrified of how I reacted then to get drunk. Yeah. Because that's – I feel like when I was drunk, I went back to being that little girl that needed to have his approval. Yeah. And I have seen him since. Um, There was a trip that I went to Baltimore, and he asked if he could see me. Mm -hmm. And I remember he came to my hotel, and Shia sat in the lobby with me. And he asked if he could speak to me privately. So Shia went to, like, the couch right across (laughs) from us where he was not within earshot, but he was was close close. enough that if something happened, he was able to protect me. And he apologized. He said he was sorry for what he did and that I didn't deserve it. And I thanked him and we went our separate ways. A few years later, actually a good few years later, 
um, after he had, you know, gotten a head injury and all of this shit, I heard from him again. And he, I remember him asking me, why do you hate me? Oh, I don't know why. And I was like, really? I'm like, do you not remember what you did to me? And he's like, no, I don't really remember a lot from back then. And I told him what he did to me and how he treated me and the things he said to me. Did he blame the head injury? He blamed the head injury for not remembering, but he took full responsibility again for how he treated me. And he apologized again and then sent me a dick pic. So he didn't learn his lesson. Not even a little. So I blocked him. I hope so. And I have not spoken to him since. But honestly, it was years later before I could even think of myself as a survivor. And there's still some times where I have issues thinking of that. Because from him till now, I've had plenty of people that have treated me poorly and verbally abused me or emotionally abused me or financially abused me or all three. And I don't blame them. I blame me. Mm-hmm. And I, I have continued to do that. And it's I, – I do think of myself as a survivor because I did get out of that situation and he is not in my life and I have gotten stronger. But I do still end up in situations with people like him because I feel like a part of me wants to be able to fix those relationships – to make it seem like he was wrong. Yeah. And I feel like even now I'm still trying to prove him wrong. Sense. By just trying to find someone who loves me. And unfortunately, narcissistic pieces of shit cling on to people like me. Because I have needs to be loved written across my forehead, apparently. Um, but I, uh, it's taken a lot. And moving to a different state, Mm -hmm. moving to other countries. I think that's why I'm not good with sitting still and I'm not good with commitment to things. Yeah. Is because I I overthink when I sit still and when I stay somewhere too long, I feel like something – like almost like he's going to come back or like he's going to be able to find me. Like there was a period of time he was living in Tampa – And the entire time he was living there, I don't know where he is now, but when he was in Tampa, I was terrified. Yeah. Because I was like, what if he comes down here? Like, there was no part, there's no part of me that loves him. There's no part of me that cares about him. But he has had such a hold on my life for so many years that when I'm in my deep, dark holes, I'm like, well, what if I'm supposed to be in that relationship and I'm supposed to be with him Yeah, because that's what I deserve. And I think the issue is also that I've never gotten angry at him. And we talk about that all the time. I don't do anger. You're getting better though. I'm. <laughs> but the thing is, is that I feel like a lot of the anger that I have towards Rocky yes. right now is anger that should be geared at other people. Yeah. And you know, what he did is awful and what he did was cruel and he didn't need to do it mm-hmm. and he has no excuse. But the level of anger that I have towards him yeah. 
doesn't match what he did. But I feel like because he came off as such a great person with such mm-hmm. a strong heart and then turned in to what he turned into. to what he turned into I think that's what makes me so angry is because I thought he would be different and I trusted him and I had confidence in him and he turned around and ended up being exactly like Zach and exactly like Mike and it's just a reminder that no matter where I turn they're there yeah that I can't get away from them and I think that's why that anger is coming up for him specifically is because even when I think I found something good, it's still them. Them. It's still their voices in my head. It's still those feelings that they gave me and the things that they said to me. And I think you carry that. Like I have even being married and together with Kyle for, it'll be 15 years in February. Mm -hmm. I still carry that. I think I'll, a part of me will always carry that. Yeah. I think it's always in the back of my mind when something happens or someone says something, the back of my mind is like, but Zach said this. Mm-hmm. So are they biased or are, you know, like w- what's their ulterior motive for saying that? And the honestly, the only person that I've ever truly believed when they said they love me and when they said that I'm beautiful and when they said nice things to me is Canada. Yeah. I've never believed anybody else. Well, you also felt that sense of safety that you have never felt. Correct. So I think that's where it differs. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. I I feel like with domestic violence and, you know, we've obviously talked about it. You were, you came into my life shortly after mm-hmm. I dealt with what I went through. Yeah. Um, I just feel like it is a, I don't want to say it's a burden, I always say I look at it as like a quilt and it's just a patch that's on my quilt in my story that I'm not going to repatch. It's just going to kind of go along with me Mm -hmm. and it's just something I will carry. And some days I'm great and it doesn't cross my mind. And then there are times when, you know, things get difficult and... I resort right back to that person. So my story is very different from Allie's. Very, very different. I feel like I had very crappy teenage relationships. (laughs) I think I more so went through like verbal abuse as a teenager and like the mental aspect of teenage relationships. But my first spout with domestic violence Mm -hmm. was not until I was 20. Yeah. So I've kind of talked about it briefly, but my story started when I was 20. Um, I was in my second year of college. Yeah. So I was a sophomore in college. And... I had had an on and off relationship with Ray for a while. We Mm -hmm. started when I was 16. So we were going on four years of like us on and off. And I remember at that time it was like off, off. Mm -hmm. He was talking to somebody and like he was dating, like seriously dating somebody. So I was coming off of that. It was the transition of me being in college. I had moved in with my grandparents And, you know, at that time, 
my aunt who raised me was losing her house. So she was moving in with my grandparents. And when she moved in, it triggered me because I moved in with my grandparents to get away from her. So I was kind of just looking for an outlet. You know, the boy I was in love with wasn't in love with me anymore. And, you know, I was in college and dealing with taking college courses and everything that was going on. And I remember, I actually can tell you the exact or memories of the exact day. I was with my sister. My grandparents were, I think they were going out of town or coming back from coming out of town. And my sister had spent the night with me because they had not lost the house yet. And that whole weekend we had like the perfect weekend. It was like one of those weird spring like weeks where it got really cold. We went to an antique car show in downtown Fort Lauderdale. And then the next day we went to the old Davies school and like did like a whole thing. We got like matching outfits to wear and we were driving through Hollywood and there was a group of boys that were on BMX bikes doing tricks. Naturally, being two teenage girls, well, I was 20, but being two young girls, we were drawn to the boys. So I remember following them and my sister's like, just go talk to them. I'm like, no, we're going to look like idiots. So I remember like circling around where they were and then stopping and like rolling down the window and be like, hey, can you tell me where so-and-so is or where this is? Because I'm super lost. And that's when I met David. He was one of the first ones that came to the car. Like, oh, you're lost? Like, where are you trying to go? Um, There was a group of six of them. Kyle was actually there. Um, So we started talking. Then he's like, well, let me get your number. And naturally, I gave him my number. We pull away, like... Oh, thanks. We know exactly where to go now. I knew where the hell I was going. And I remember getting back to the house and we're like laughing about it. And then I text him and he's like, well, what are you doing tonight? I'm like, "Um, nothing. Hanging out with my sister. He's like, well, why don't you meet me up at the plaza and we'll hang out? Okay. We texted all day, showered because this was like earlier in the morning, showered, got all ready, got my cute little nautica sweater that i had back then and that night it was me my sister and michelle we actually went up to the plaza and met him and hung out with him and another like two other guys that were in the group and then that should have been my red flag that something was off because it was like 11 o'clock and i'm like oh even though my grandparents weren't home i was like i gotta go home like i need to get home i can't be out this late he's like, no, 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 just stay. And I was like, no, like, you don't understand. Like, I really have to go home. Like, I should not be out driving this late. I was driving my grandmother's van at that. Like, I need to go home. So I was like, okay, I'll stay another 30 minutes. That was the night that the time changed. Mm. And we sprung forward. So it changed very quickly from uh, midnight to 2 o'clock in the morning. And I was like, oh, shit, like, we got to go home. And I remember him saying, well, it's too late now. My parents have locked the door and they're not going to let me in. So my logic was, well, let's just park the van and we'll just sleep in the van for the night. 
because you know who's not gonna want to go on an adventure so we did and I remember my sister was in the front with one of his friends and I was in the back with him we were talking and it was that atypical like teen love where you spend the whole night up talking and you know my sister and the other guy fell asleep and we stayed up all night and you know I dropped him off in the morning. I went home and I think I told my grandparents, I was like, oh, sorry. I, we went to Michelle's house and watched a movie and like I just fell asleep. We fell asleep. They didn't think anything of it because they trusted me. And then from there, things just moved very quickly. And I remember like fully falling head over heels. And I remember telling my sister, like, this can't be real. I was with Ray and it took a long time to build these feelings. And, like, I can feel myself, like, I was on the verge of saying I love you after, like, a week. I feel like that's how it goes, though, with relationships like that. Yeah. Is that they're so good that you just fall so quickly. Yeah. And I think that was part of the problem. I was so blindsided and so, like, it was like, Ray who? Like, I didn't think about him. I was so smitten with him and so enamored. Like, my world revolved around him. I would text him every second of every moment. I would be in class and not paying attention because I would be talking to him. And, you know, I think it was that, too, he would brag and be like, oh, my girlfriend's in college because he's younger than me. My girlfriend's in college and she does this and she has a job and we go here and, oh, she can drive. It's nice when someone brags about you, isn't it? (laughs) And that was different for me because Ray was very timid and that aspect never happened in our relationship. It was just, oh, that's your normal day. So it was all very new to me. And I remember it was like a week and a half. We were sitting by the lake talking And I had said something like joking along the lines because one of his friend's names in his phone, he spelt wrong. So instead of Evan, E-V-A-N, he put even, E-V-E-N. And I was joking with him. I was like, do you even know how to spell? He's like, yeah, test me on anything. And I was like, okay. So I gave him a few words and then I said, I, spell I. He's like, Which one? And I was like, oh, at least you know the difference. Like, okay, I, just the letter I. And he's like, I. And I was like, love. He's like, L-O-V-E. And then I said, you. And he spelt it and then looked at me and then, like, attacked me. And I think we had sex, like, in the grass where we were. But I never second-guessed it. Like, did you really just fucking say that? And the way he reacted, I had never had that before. I remember the first time I told Ray that I loved him. He like, cool, high five. So it was very different for me. You know, that was not something that I threw around lightly. And I think I had always had this envision moment of when I tell somebody that I loved him and he gave me exactly what I wanted. So from there, we were fine. And then we passed the honeymoon phase. The honeymoon phase was our three and a half months. I was preparing for a show and it was at the end of the semester. And I remember calling him when I got home from work and he would not answer my phone calls. And we had a routine. Every Monday night, I picked him up and I would take him to Brian Piccolo and I would watch him BMX, bring him home, go to dinner. We would go home. It was Monday night. I was home from work. 
I went to go call him to pick him up. And he would not answer my phone calls. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? No answer, no answer, no answer. And then I finally called his closest friend that I knew he was with all the time. And I picked up the phone and I was like, what's going on? And I can hear him in the background losing his mind. And I was like, is that? He's like, bro, I don't know what's wrong with him. Like, he's just screaming and walking around and like punching the wall. And he's like super mad. He's like, what the hell happened? I was like, I have not talked to him all day. Like, I've been texting him since 10 o'clock in the morning and he has not responded. Is he okay? Like, did something happen? Is he hurt? Oh my God, I'm going to He's like, no, don't come. He's like, let me get him calmed down because he's really fucking mad. I'm home hysterical. I think at that point, I had told my grandparents, like, one of my friend's cats died or something and I needed to go be with him. And I remember calling his friend and being like, where are you? I'm coming. And he's like, I'm telling you, don't come. He's pissed. And I was like, okay, fine. So I like circled the neighborhood. I parked at a local park and bawled my eyes out because I had no reason why, like understanding why the guy that I loved was not speaking to me. And he even said, like, do you want to talk to her? And he's like, what the fuck? Like I could hear him screaming at him, like, hang up the fucking phone. And I was like, what did I do? Like that mentality went through my head. I went home and it was like 1.30 in the morning. Now, mind you, I had class at 8 a.m. the next day. And he just texted me, hi. I immediately got up and I was like, oh my God, what's the matter? Are you okay? Like, where are you? Do you want me to come to you? And he's like, no. Okay. He's like, just stop fucking talking to me. Uh, Um, okay. He's like, don't fucking call me. Lose my number. I want nothing to do with you. Um, okay. And of course, now I'm calling him excessively, texting him. I don't understand. What's the matter? Like, talk to me. I love you. What's wrong? And he's like, if you call me one more time, I'm going to come to your house and break your fucking windows. Don't call me again. So I naturally cried my fucking eyes out, Mm -hmm. fell asleep. I remember the next morning I had to get up. I went to class and then I had like a three hour gap before I had to go to work. And I remember coming home and telling my grandma, like, I have to go back to school. But before I go back to work and I drive to work, because I was like, can I take the van to go to work? But before I go back to work, I have to go back to school and like exchange textbooks or something. I said, but the line at the school store is really long. Can I just leave early? She's like, yeah, no problem. I drove to his house. And I remember beating on his door. No answer. I then jumped his fence and went to his window and was beating on his window. And I remember him getting up and be like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, just talk to me. Like, I don't understand what I did. What happened? Like hysterical. So he finally opens the door. We go in his room and I'm on my knees begging him. Just talk to me. Tell me what's wrong. And he revealed that he wanted nothing to do with me. Because at that point, that day that he told me and would not answer my phone calls, he had slept with someone else. And that was your fault? So I immediately said, it's okay. 
just let me know what I need to do. Like, we can get past this. It's okay. I was upset. And I told him, I was like, I can't believe you did that. I was like, but it's okay. I love you. And we can get over this. We proceeded to have sex. Because that, you know, that fixes everything. And he said the reason he did not want to speak to me is because he realized he fucked up. And we got over it. And it wasn't until two days later that the girl that he cheated on with, on me with, was revealed. She was engaged to one of his friends. And she confronted me and said, you can't say anything to my fiancé because not only would he kill me, he would kill him because it was in their bed. So I was like, you know, you're a whore. Of course, I blamed her. You're a whore. I can't believe you would do this. Well, I'm going to tell your fiancé because, no, he's not going to touch my boyfriend. I didn't say anything. And when I proceeded to tell him what was said, that was the first time that he hit me. He punched me in the face. And he told me that I had no right to call her a whore. And that I sh- if I felt that strongly to tell him that I didn't love him and I didn't mean anything that I said to him. So that was our first spot. This continued for a while where like he would cheat and he would go through these things. And I remember just begging him every time, like, it's okay. I love you. Like, please just stay with me, you know. And there was a point one time when he cheated and he told me, you're fat. No one wants to be with somebody that looks like you. And you're not going to get better than me. And I took it. I ate it. I took it. And I still begged for him to be with me. After that, it was probably about, I want to say like a month and a half. This point, we're like six and a half months into the relationship on and off. And I got really sick, like super sick. I couldn't figure out what was wrong. I just kept throwing everything up in my system. Nothing would stay down. At this point, I was convinced and my doctor was convinced that I had like a gastrointestinal disorder because I had dropped like 70 pounds of just like weeks of just everything I ate coming back up. So he's like, I want to schedule you for an upper GI. I had my upper GI scheduled. It was for like three weeks after, you know, I, everything had happened. But before you do that, we have to do routine testing. And when I did my urine test, it came back positive for pregnancy. So I found out even though I was on birth control, that I was pregnant. I told no one except my sister because I was mortified. I always said, I'm going to finish college. Like, this isn't going to be me. I knew I wanted babies, but I wanted to do it the right way. And all I kept thinking is, oh my God, my fucking grandparents are going to kill me. His mom was involved at this point because she couldn't understand what a 20-year-old girl saw in a... 17 almost 18 year old boy and she had she had concerns about me not about her son so I remember she had called me and said something and I had been up all night sick to my stomach and I had said well if your fucking son hadn't knocked me up I wouldn't be in this situation and I remember hearing her saying oh my god and hanging up the phone so naturally she told him mm-hmm. He's calling me, texting me, shows up at the house. I go for a walk with him and he's like, why the fuck didn't you tell me? He's like, there's no way it's my baby. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, there's no fucking way. You're fucking around. Like, we're not even really together. I'm like, I'm only sleeping with you. Like, 
was the whole roundabout very narcissistic like this is your fault you did this and then we kind of left it at that that night there was a party at one of his friends house and he refused to let me go and I was like well you're gonna be drinking and stuff like I don't want you drinking and me not being there like I'd rather be there and you be safe he's like you're not fucking going we got in a huge fight and he called me every name in the book and then showed up in the middle of the night and when I went out to see him he punched me threw me to the ground and told me I was worthless I was spit on and the way that I fell so outside of my window at my grandparents house they used to have a planter and the way that I fell when he knocked me to the ground was the curve of the planter went in to my lower abdomen I told him I never I don't want to see you again I'm done I'm not doing this like I can't keep doing this like what the fuck is wrong with you you know I'm pregnant and why would you keep doing this to me like I can't do this because at the that point the only thing that mattered to me yes I loved him was my kid so I went in my room I remember just being up all night crying 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 my sister stayed with me that night or she was living there but like she stayed with me and then I remember finally falling asleep and getting up and just being in excruciating pain. And I remember telling her, I was like, something doesn't feel right. Like there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And she's like, no, she's like, look at what you've been through. Like, it's fine. It's just your body reacting. Maybe you're just sore from what happened. And I was like, you're probably right. I went and I took a shower and I remember being in the shower and looking down and just seeing blood trickle from my legs. So I went to the hospital. When I went to the hospital, I actually was farther along than I thought I was. I thought I was only a couple weeks, like maybe three or four weeks. We had been together collectively at this point, probably seven months. I was four and a half months along and had no idea. So I dealt with that alone because Mm -hmm. what adult could I tell at this point? And I still dealt with him after the fact. Like, I still tried to make it work after that because I just wanted him in my life. And there was a point after that where he was very apologetic, but never towards his actions. I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm sorry that you feel that way. It was never, I'm sorry, I caused this. I'm sorry, I'm doing this to you. It was always me. Did he ever apologize for you losing the baby? So I saw him for a while after. Then we kind of stopped. You were actually present for that great exchange between us where I finally like had that revenge exchange and gave him all of his shit. And I didn't really deal with him much after that. I started dating Kyle and then he was still in our like friend group. So I remember there was a night that we went to the beach, Kyle, and I had just started dating. And I was getting in the car. and He's like, you're not going to give me a hug. And I remember looking at Kyle and like going pale because I'm like, dude, you know, I'm dating him. And he's like, oh, so you're really not going to give me a hug. And I was like, it was like a church hug. Like, oh, okay, Hi. Nice to see you. I remember when I moved up to locks and I started going to therapy when I moved to the house. I had messaged him and like released everything. I forgive you. I forgive you for everything that you did. I forgive you for not knowing that you're a piece of shit. I forgive you for making me lose the baby. I forgive you for everything that you put me through. I pray 
that you find solace. I pray that one day you know what you did. I pray that one day you will apologize and realize the magnitude. And I think his response was along the lines of, you have fucking issues. So I never really got solace. It wasn't until uh, probably a year after that, I was talking to a mutual friend that we had. And that mutual friend said that he came to the realization that I was the best thing that ever happened to him. And he realized how he fucked up. And that what he did to me was one of the worst things he could have possibly ever done. But it was never told to me. It wouldn't be because that would be admitting a weakness. Yeah. So we've are friends on social media, but he's blocked from a lot. Occasionally, I will like check his page and be like, oh, maybe he changed. But there's never been any interaction. Nothing. And I went on, I think a few months ago, like probably five months ago. And he was in a relationship and they broke up. And the first thing in my mind was I need to find that girl and find out what happened. And I don't think it was more so for me to be involved in it. I think it was more so of has he really changed and grown up? I was curious. I was really curious to see because they were together for a while. But my sadistic, twisted mind, I think, has kept him as a friend because I want him to see my successes. I want him to see my beautiful children and realize what the fuck he's never going to have because nobody, I don't think, will ever settle down with him. And I think it's that reminder for me to always keep pushing And to be able to one day sit down with my daughter and tell her, like, this is what I went through. Yeah, I mean, I um, I remember that day with the handoff. Uh I forgot. I forgotten about it, but I remember that day. Yeah, we took uh, Chase with us. Yeah, I remember that. I um, I understand the whole wanting to, you know, ask and find out what happened with that Mm -hmm. girl because the person that he dated after me. She was my friend. We went to school together. And I remember her saying, like, he's going to – or, like, I mean, telling her, like, he's going to hurt you. Yeah. Like, don't date him. And she was like, no, he won't do that to me. And I was like, the same thing. no. I'm like, he will. And she's like, no. She's like, because I make him happy. Mm. I won't do the things you did. I won't make your mistakes. And I remember – I live down here at this point. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, like, she's going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. And she did. Yeah. And she called me from the hospital. Oh, my God. And she was like, I don't know what I did. Like, I thought he was happy. I thought I was making him happy. And, like, it was like hearing my own voice. Mm -hmm. Like, she was blaming herself in the same way that I had been blaming myself for years. And... There was a part of me that felt so horrible mm-hmm. that she was going through it. Mm-hmm. But then there was an also that part of me that was like, I told you this was going to happen. Yeah. Like, I, I knew this was going to happen. And I almost – there was a period of time I feel like I blamed myself. Yeah. That if I had stayed with him and if I had made him happy and if, you know, that no one else would have gotten hurt. That, yeah. like, she didn't deserve it, but I did. Yeah. And I've always wondered about that because I've spent most of my life punishing myself Mm -hmm. and wondering 
why I continue to believe that I deserve to be punished. Like, what did I, what do I think I did that deserves to be punished for my entire life? And I think you carry that, you know, David's big thing was he was a cheater and I took it. So when Kyle and I went through what we went through, I was immediately back in at space of, I should have just stayed with him because he was no better. It's took me a long time. And I still have those moments of weakness where, you know, I won't ever compare my husband to him, like, in that sense, because Kyle would never put his hands on me. He might get angry, but, like, he is also very quick to apologize and very quick to correct what he does, probably because he knows I would fucking put him through a wall at this point. And I am like that with everybody else, but for some reason, I could not do that with him. I, it's it. I get that because like do it. I I can stand up for myself to certain people, mm-hmm. but to him and to Mike, Mm-mm. Ralph, all of them, like I I couldn't stand up to them. No, especially Zach. Yeah, I I've never been able to stand up to no. him. Even even with Ralph, I mean, Ralph didn't do nearly as bad of things as Zach did. It's pretty fucking rough though. He he was he was rough. But even, like, the last time I saw him a few years ago when we had, like, mended everything and we had had dinner that night where I was in New York, it was like I was back in that space and yeah. he had all of the control over me. Yeah. It was, like, the second I saw him, I was, I, was like his, yeah. I was, like, his slave. Like, I would have done anything for him. And yeah. I did. Like, that night, like, he had me, like, trying new foods and trying like all these new things that I would never do yeah like if anybody else told me to try those things I'd be like fuck off yeah but like he sat in front of me and he said try this and I said okay (laughs) and I'm just like he just he had this power over Over me yeah and Zach was the same way and Mike was the same way (laughs) I knew from the moment I met Mike that he was a red flag yeah not even that he had red flags he was he was a walking red flag yeah and I stayed and I put up with it. And, you know, I sat in our living room every, most weekends, you know, till four or five in the morning waiting for him to come home, thinking to myself, you know what, he's not coming home because I'm not making him happy. Yeah. He's not coming home because I'm not <clears throat> thin enough. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing enough. I can't make him happy. Yeah. And... It got worse when we moved into the the other apartment because at that point he had told me that he wasn't attracted to me anymore. Yeah. But he still stayed because he was still getting money from me. I was still his piggy bank. Yeah. You know, I paid for him to go to the Keys with his new girlfriend after we broke up. Yeah. Not purposely, but he used my credit card to do it. But I also paid for the bed that he was fucking his new girlfriend in. Yeah. I furnished the apartment or the room that he was fucking his new girlfriend in Yeah, because he just had this power over me that I could not let him go. I remember having that conversation with you that night that we went to dinner. Yep. And I said, you have to make the choice. You're going to have to get out of that mentality. And honestly, if it wasn't for how he treated his sister, I would probably still be dealing with Mike. But it's like, it's like when people are in abusive relationships that have children. Yeah. The second they lay a hand on that child, that's it. That's it. Done. You can do what you want to me, but you can't touch my child. That was when I reached that point with David. And that's how it was with me with Mike. I mean, 
Val is not my my daughter. She's not my child. No, but she's like your sister. But she's like my sister. She is family. And to see him write such horrible things about her that aren't true. Yeah. And even if even if half of them were true, that's still you don't talk about someone I love like that. No. And that's what got me away from him. Yeah. Was defending her. And if he hadn't said those things about her, it, I didn't care what he said to me. I yeah. didn't care how he treated me. I didn't care that it was, oh, I love you. Can you replace my AirPods? Yeah. Oh, I love you. Can you do this? Oh, I love you. My car isn't working. Can you pay for me to fix it? Yeah. None of that mattered because I was basically giving him gifts and paying for everything and putting myself so far into Did debt that, that mm-hmm. I'm still trying to crawl my way out a year and a half later. I did it all because I was literally trying to buy his love. Yeah. I was trying so hard to make that man love me. And there's no reason for it. No. And I texted you today. I found a letter, one of the letters I had written him. Mm -hmm. And the whole letter was basically me pleading with him for him to be a team with me so that I could buy him more stuff. Yeah. So that I could take him on trips. So I could do more for him. Yeah. And it was basically an entire letter of me pleading for him to want to be with me. Yeah. And I feel like those three people, Zach, Ralph, and Mike, have had such a hold over me. Yeah. Those are probably the, wor- the, the worst and it's, three. Absolutely. Without question. And they all were the worst in different ways. Yeah. Completely different ways. But they're all on the same level. Mm-hmm. You know, Zach did the physical abuse and the mental abuse and, you know, my eating disorder would have never gotten as bad as it did if it wasn't for him. Yeah. I can't actually say that, but I can say that it got so bad so quickly because of, because him. of him. Yeah. And I wouldn't have had half of my fear foods up until my 20s if it wasn't for him. Ralph, the emotional torture. Yeah. Of being with him. Oh, congratulate me. I fucked this stripper in Canada. Oh, you know, the the day that things ended and he had me sit on the phone with him that entire train ride mm-hmm. to get to him and him telling me how much better his ex-girlfriend was than me. And he made me sit on the phone. I could not hang up. And it wasn't that I didn't have the capability of hanging up. I yeah. could have just taken the phone away from my ear and clicked. But I could not, not do phys- it. Yeah. I could not physically do that action. Because I needed him to love me. Yeah. I needed him to want to be with me. I needed to be as perfect as that ex-girlfriend. Yeah. And Mike was just... He was all of it except the physical part. Except the physical. And I'm surprised at that, actually. I'm, I'm genuinely surprised Mike never um, laid a hand on I'm him. not. Have you seen him fight? <laughs> but that's fighting men. Uh, doesn't matter. But he has a restraining order against... Uh, uh, an ex-girlfriend has a restraining know. order against him. Probably because it's just his psycho actions. I don't physically. No, he held her up against a wall by her throat because they broke up and he was sitting outside the house. She must have not ever went to his fights. Probably not. (laughs) Um, But he was sitting outside their house and she had another guy over because they were broken up and she had every Mm. right to do so. Yeah. And when the guy left, he went inside the house. Well, with that being said, I feel like if you're listening, if you've made it this far. (laughs) and these kind of resonate with you, you're probably in a relationship that has domestic violence, and there are healthy outlets for you to get help. If you are here locally, Women in Distress is wonderful. It's fantastic. 
There are also local shelters for battered women. Women in distress has one. Please do not hesitate to reach out to local facilities or your local law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Some, a lot of local law enforcements have an actual domestic violence unit where they help people escape. Yeah. Um, we plan on having a guest on who dealt specifically with domestic violence. Um, she worked as a counselor and actually facilitated quite a few escapes yeah. for some of our clients. But just get help. I know it's hard. We, I mean, we've talked about it. Physically, yeah. we were not able to have the capability no. to walk away. It's a hard, hard line to walk. And, you know, Allie and I could tell you better than anybody probably. When you have convinced yourself that that is love, no one can tell you any different. Or that's what you deserve. Yeah. But the fact is, is that if you take anything from this episode, is that one, you're not alone. There's nothing wrong with you. You have not done anything wrong. Don't blame yourself. It is your batterer's fault. Yes. It is 100% your batterer's fault for what is happening. It is not yours. No. And it does take time to realize that. You're not just going to have an epiphany because you're listening to us. No. But listen to us. Have us in your ear that you are not alone. You are not at fault. And there are resources to help you get to safety. Yes. There are also resources if you've been through it and still consider yourself a victim mm-hmm. and haven't been re-victimized or keep being victimized. You're not a victim. You are actually a survivor. And luckily to be able to walk away from a situation that could have very easily killed you. It's like the person that, you know, reached out to us yes. on our Instagram. She, you know, was in it for years. And it was her... And to her relationship, it was similar to mine and Zach's, that he left. Yeah. And I think in that moment, you don't realize that they're doing you a favor. Yeah. But because your whole world is crumbling at that point. But it really is them, you know, doing the first good thing for you. Yeah. And probably the only. I think as we further, we'll touch more on this topic. We'll have guests on both that have maybe worked in that field and maybe more survivors. But with that being said, don't be scared to get help. Don't be scared to go to therapy. I promise you, as scary as it is to face those fears, it helps. It It helps you overcome. It gives you coping mechanisms if you're still dealing, you know, with the trauma of being a survivor or if you are a current victim, it helps tremendously. If we can give you guys anything, it's just if you're listening and you're going through it, it's hope that you can get out of that situation. Absolutely. And I think what we'll do is we'll put the women in distress link. phone number and link yes. um, in the um, description of this episode. Yeah. With that being said, we'll end the episode here. Yep. And uh-huh. stay tuned for more. And if you have not already, please check out our page. It is no matter where, no matter when, without the A's on Instagram. And also our sponsorship. Check out SLNV. They have amazing clothes that build confidence. And they're for everybody. And they're super comfortable. And they'll make you feel good about yourself. And I feel like that's a good way to end this episode because everybody needs to feel good about themselves sometimes. With that being said, until next time.